Hamlet Podcast, Episode 22. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Macbeth with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. We're going to continue right on where we stopped last time, with the porter having finally opened the door and let in Lennox and Macduff. Far from offering him the tip he just asked for, Macduff wants to know why the porter took so long. He asks, Was it so late, friend, ere you went to bed, that you do lie so late? Macduff was not at the party last night. Despite being another of the king's close advisers and warriors, he has not come to Macbeth's for the dinner. If the Macbeths are nocturnal people, Macduff is very much a morning person. So he's asking now, was it really so late before the party wound down that even the porter was asleep when he arrived? There's a lot of wordplay through what follows in this scene, all about lies and lying and various meanings of the word. Here, Macduff means that the porter has been asleep on the job, lying down and resting. But there are other lies to come. The porter answers, Faith, sir, we were carousing till the second cock, and drink, sir, is a great provoker of three things. Unsurprisingly, the porter answers with more than he has been asked. The party wound down at about dawn. They were carousing till the second cock crow. And, he says, drink is great at provoking three things. It's no surprise then, Macduff takes the bait and asks, What three things does drink especially provoke? This is fairly simple. He wants to know what three things the porter might have in mind. Any fervent readers in the audience might have been reminded of a portion of a long poem by one John Davies of Hereford. In his Microcosmos, a rambling work all about the little things in life, he talks at length about drink and its offices. According to Davies, who was an almost exact contemporary of Shakespeare, drink has three offices, for in it is boiled the meat, the next to mix the food he first digests, the last to bring it to the liver's heat. So drink, he writes, is helpful to our enjoyment of food. Any fans of John Davies of Hereford watching the play might imagine that the porter is on the brink of quoting this poem. But instead he gives a very different answer. Here's what he describes to Macduff as what drink provokes. Marry, sir, nose-painting, sleep and urine. Lechery, sir, it provokes and unprovokes. It provokes the desire, but it takes away the performance. Therefore, much drink may be said to be an equivocator with lechery. It makes him, and it mars him. It sets him on, and it takes him off. It persuades him, and disheartens him. Makes him stand to, and not stand to. In conclusion, equivocates him in a sleep, and, giving him the lie, leaves him. This is one of the earthiest passages of Shakespeare, gleefully describing the various bodily effects that booze can have. Shakespeare was clearly not writing for children. The porter explains that the effects of drink are sleep, and urine, which we could expect, and nose painting, a reference to how seasoned drinkers can end up with a red nose that is the telltale sign of a drunkard. 
so drink paints the nose. Rather ruefully, he continues that sexual desire, or lechery, is something that alcohol can provoke and unprovoke. In this line, and the several that follow, the porter has scope for a great quantity of physical humour, most of it very bawdy indeed. The overall gist is that drinking can awaken sexual desire, but then leave the would-be lecher incapacitated. Unprovoke is Shakespeare's rather unique use of the negative of this word, which has generated laughs for thousands of porters over the centuries. Lechery, sir, it provokes and unprovokes. It provokes the desire, but it takes away the performance. Very interestingly, the porter manages to bring equivocation back into this conversation. He jokes that drink can be said to act like an equivocator with sexual desire, since drink can cause a man to think one thing, but then act rather differently. He goes through a list of the various ways that drink might provoke the desire and then take away the performance. These are all splendid examples of Shakespearean antithesis, and if you'd like to read more about that, of course, you can visit the show notes page of the website, thehamletpodcast.com. The porter says, it makes him and it mars him. It sets him on and it takes him off. It persuades him and disheartens him, makes him stand to and not stand to. The porter is a very enthusiastic comedian. It's certainly not as if Lennox or Macduff don't understand what he's saying. Really, this is a gift to a comic actor, all of these repetitions of the same idea, and its ongoing comic relief from the ghastly shock of the murder. It's also a good build-up for Macduff and what he will shortly discover, since we in the audience know what has happened. But for all he knows, everyone in the castle was drinking till dawn, and to such excess that they probably even think that this porter is hilarious. Our comic hero is reaching the end of his bit now, and he concludes that drink can stimulate a man to get as far as bed, provoked into lecherous thoughts, but once he gets there, he will probably just sleep. As soon as he lies down, he will most likely lose all of that provoked stimulation. The wordplay is quick and funny and fairly shallow, but a good performer can make all of this very entertaining in a great variety of ways. In conclusion, equivocates him in a sleep, and, giving him the lie, leaves him. Now, at last, Macduff gets a word in. He wryly says, I believe drink gave thee the lie last night. He's trying to extend the wordplay. Drink caused the porter to have to lie down last night. Again, Macduff is pointing out that the porter was not doing his job. Macduff is a little bit dry, but here he's very much the foil to the porter. He's no comedian. But the porter gets one more gag in response to this comment about giving the lie. He says, That it did, sir, at the very throat on me, but I requited him for his lie, and, I think, being too strong for him, though he took up my legs sometime, yet I made a shift to cast him. This is kind of complicated, in the way that only a still-drunk person can make leaps between images that have their own unique kind of sense. The porter turns the image of lying down to sleep into telling lies. What he says is that yes, drink did give him the lie. It put lies into his throat. 
the place from which we speak, but also into which we would pour said drink. But, he says, he had his revenge on drink for this lie. He says that he managed to overcome drink. Imagining drink now as another person, he starts using wrestling images. The porter thinks he's stronger than drink, and so, even though the drink has managed to knock him over, he took up my legs sometime, or at very least left the porter unsteady and a bit wobbly on his legs, nevertheless, he managed to make a move to cast him out. Making a shift to cast like this could have been a wrestling move, but here, in an appropriately gross image, the porter ends by vomiting. That it did, sir in the very throat on me. But I requited him for his lie, and, I think, being too strong for him, though he took up my legs sometime, yet I made a shift to cast him. There's really not a lot to say after that, so Macduff changes the subject. He asks, Is thy master stirring? It's probably time that Macbeth should be up, and sure enough, he's probably entering by the time Macduff asks about him, since the latter interrupts himself and continues. Ah, our knocking has awaked him. Here he comes. There's a grim irony to Macduff's line. Macbeth last exited the stage, wishing that the same knocking might wake Duncan. But Macduff knows none of this. The three men now exchange pleasantries. Lennox says, Good morrow, noble sir. And Macbeth greets them both. Good morrow, both. We don't get much of a sense of what kind of relationship there is between Macbeth and Macduff. As we discussed back at the beginning of the play, Shakespeare has invited us to see them as equals, almost as mirror images of each other, but we don't get to see them on stage together very often. At this moment, we return to the kind of overly formal language that seems so popular in this version of Scotland. So Macduff asks, Is the king stirring, worthy Thane? Even if they did only get to bed at dawn, dramatic licence would suggest that there's been a little time for everyone to sleep a bit by now. Otherwise, Macduff would be universally hated for getting everyone out of bed so early. But Macbeth answers that no, the king is not up. He says, not yet. This is a nice little piece of equivocation. Macduff has asked if the king is stirring, and Macbeth's answer can mean not yet, he hasn't got out of bed yet, but also not any more, since obviously Duncan will never move again. Now Macduff explains why he's so early. He says, he did command me to call timely on him. I have almost slipped the hour. Duncan has arranged for Macduff to call on him early this morning. Regardless of the party last night, Duncan has apparently anticipated an early start. And so Macduff is here, concerned that he's almost late already. Macbeth, the host, happily agrees to show Macduff to the king's quarters. He says, I'll bring you to him. And why wouldn't he, apart from his having murdered the king in his bed just minutes before? There's a very weird and heavy irony to the interaction now between Macbeth and Macduff. We know that this is just filling the time before the murderer is discovered. Macbeth has to seem cool and calm and innocent. Macduff is perhaps sympathetic to the imminent headaches and hangovers that are sure to abound in the castle. Macduff says, 
I know this is a joyful trouble to you, but yet tis one. He's saying that it may have been a nuisance to have to entertain the king and his entourage last night, but surely it was a joyful trouble. Tis one is one of those filler phrases in Shakespeare, an awkward little Sherlock, that's the way things are kind of a line. Macduff has had a full line of verse and then this little half line of just four syllables, so there can be an awkward pause here before Macbeth's response. He has a comparably meaningless but polite reply. The labour we delight in physics pain. This is the door. Macbeth is saying that yes, any trouble or labour that is enjoyable, or a delight, is a remedy for any pain that it might incur. So even the joy of the king's visit might be a cure or physic for the hangover that it has brought on. And we get another short line as Macbeth indicates that this is the door. And another awkward pause between the pair of them. This can be excruciating on stage. We in the audience are willing them to get on with it, to go in and find the dead king and get things rolling. Macduff takes one last moment before going in to wake the king, since, after all, who would want to go and annoy the monarch, who might have a hangover himself, with a wake-up call? But eventually he determines to do so. He says, I'll make so bold to call, for tis my limited service. I'll do it, he says, since it's my job to do so. This limited service is what he has been required and asked to perform. And he exits. In he goes. We in the audience are on tenterhooks now, wondering what will happen next and how things will unfold. And, alas, I will have to leave you with the same feeling. Lennox and Macbeth are left on stage for a very awkward little conversation, but we will save that for the next episode. Thank you very much for listening, as always, and do be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you tune in so that you'll be guaranteed never to miss an episode. I really appreciate you joining me, and I'll speak to you next time.